We're back. Back for another pod. Back after Oklahoma dispatched of SMU over the weekend. Back before the Sooners head to Tulsa. And back with Garen Emig for the fifth episode of the Letterman Jacket podcast. Garen, number five on the Sooners roster right now. Andrew Anthony and Woody Washington. Who are your favorite all-time number fives? It's all, all of sports. It doesn't need to be OU. All of sports number fives. Favorite number fives. I'm just, I'm just going to land on one, man. The Mach 5. Speed what? Racer. Okay. Eli, Speed Racer was a cartoon, an anime cartoon in the early 1970s that captivated American children everywhere, including me. <laughs> the, the, the adventures of Speed Racer, Pops Racer, Spridal, Chim Chim, Trixie. Okay. And he had a brother, Ma- the Mast Racer. Uh, and that was weird. And uh, that was cool. And then he raced against the mammoth car, which was awesome. And uh, it was it was uh, captivating and horrifying all at the same time. And uh, you should you should do your homework and, and watch at least one episode before we tape again next week. I can do that. That's good homework. Uh, Trixie, you've got a cat named Trixie. Any relation? No, that one though is, is Trixie Belden, my one of my wife's favorite uh, literary mm. literary characters. Very nice. Well, my number fives, New York Mets fan David Wright. Uh, and all probably the best Met of my lifetime, number five. And then Kevin Garnett on the Celtics. Iconic, okay. number five. Okay. Uh, so, so those are the two for me. But the fifth episode, look at us. We made it to five. They haven't gotten rid of us yet. Yet. Can they cancel a podcast on the Sellout Crowd Network? Are we going to find that out? I think we're going to find that out. We're going to test that boundary, I'm sure, whether it's in these <laughs> next few weeks, next few months, or, or even years. We're, we're going to find out. Uh, Garen, we were both in Norman Saturday night, OUSMU 28-11, Sooners improved to 2-0. and um, A game that was impressive from an OU perspective, it, it was not perfect, a lot of work to be done, but in, in the sense that they had their lead cut in the early minutes of the fourth quarter and then just shut, shut it down. They mm-hmm. scored the next two times they had the ball. Uh, one of those possessions, they ate a bunch of clock and scored the next. They, they needed three plays to really just close it, and the defense did its job. Two things, you know, as Brent Venable said, he's not sure they could have done a year ago to win that game. Unfortunately, the, the game was overshadowed in the aftermath by Art Riles' appearance on the field with, with his son-in-law, Jeff Levy. At this point, you know, we're, we're recording on Tuesday. It's a bit of a settled issue, at least for now, but we weren't not going to discuss it. I mean, you know, the aftermath, Brent Venables acknowledged it after the game. Jeff Levy acknowledged it. You were kind of front and center asking both of them those questions. Joe Castiglione came out with a pretty forceful statement. And then yesterday, uh, Monday morning, Jeff Levy came in with a, a prepared statement in his weekly press conference, apologizing for the distraction and uh, essentially saying it won't happen again. And so I'll, I'll stress this. We don't, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, right, right. but it, it needs addressing because I think there's both the micro and the macro on it. We'll start with with the micro for OU. Why was this was a big deal? Plenty of people on social media wanted to to kind of cast it aside. But for a school that had to release statements when it hired Jeff Levy and where Joe Castiglione said something had been violated, a boundary had been violated. Mm -hmm. Why was this such a big deal? Well, you just said it. OU hired Levy. Brent Venables brought him over, brought him in as offensive coordinator two years ago. And there's a tendency, Eli, to 
I'm, I'm, I, you want to get on the micro, I'm, I'm probably jumping straight to the macro, but, and I, and I hope you'll forgive me for doing that. But there, the problem, problem is, is sort of general, I think, and it applies to this, this case in particular. There's, it's too convenient or easy for us to take something really horrible that happened someplace and get worked up about it and then sort of move on with our lives, right? And people from that really horrible episode move on with their lives. And we just sort of conveniently forget about some of the stuff that, that went down. And uh, there was a, there was a lot of just consternation among the OU fan base, because I heard from a lot of them two years ago when, when Levy was hired by Venables for his staff, because people still sort of smell the, the burning embers from that, that, that fire down in, in Waco, right, over over five or six years. And then Levy comes aboard, and then everyone gets excited about Venable's energy and, you know, sort of rebirth of the program, and nothing really happens. You know, Bri- Levy doesn't do anything strange or, or unseemly. Bryle sort of goes back into hiding. Baylor doesn't really come up and, except to sort of see what's going on with Dave Aranda's program down there. And, it, again, it just sort of gets put on – a back burner until it isn't. And th- when it isn't, and when something happens to remind us of, of something really horrible that occurred, accountability come, comes back in the question. And that, and in this case, it goes for Levy, it goes for Bryles and it goes for, for OU. And all three columns that have been posted to sell out crowds since Saturday night have sort of hit on all three. I, I, I sort of took down Bryles, or not Bryles, but Levy at the, in the moment Saturday night because I thought he should have been sensible enough to keep his father-in-law away from Owen Field, okay? He put out a statement saying that he'd been informed, I think that was his word, by what occurred at Baylor, and I don't know that we can say that if he doesn't stop to think, father-in-law or not, that having Art Bryles on Owen Field after an, a, a game in OU gear does it, it, it's it's a connection between the current program at OU and the past one that, that was just toxic at Baylor. So I wrote about the Levy problem. Jenny Carlson the next day essentially wrote about the Bryles problem by calling on Joe Castiglione to simply ban the man, ban the man from Owen Field. If Levy's not going to keep him away from the spotlight, then Castiglione should step in and do it for him. And then Barry Trammell came back with our latest piece landing back on, well, if you're the University of Oklahoma and you hired this guy, did you not think that something might occur to have the Baylor stench from that scandal, you know, get get on you? And all of these things can be true, right? So I'd like for us to, if we're going to exit this episode, I'd like for us to consider the layers to it because we don't do that often enough about a lot of things related to sports and related to College sports, OU, OSU in particular, around here. Let's let's do that this this once and think about the layers, ramifications for all three principles in this mess, right? And then try not to forget about the fact that there are still lives that were affected by what happened at Baylor. There were victims, clearly multiple victims, by what went down at Baylor. They're still going on about their lives. Probably not so easy for them, right? To to move on with with their trauma. And anything that they've had to deal with, the legal proceedings are, are, are continue. Those those cases have not all been resolved. And in the meantime, we hold if we if we, we were holding Levy to a standard of I've learned something, I've been informed again to borrow his word from what happened. 
we should also hold Joe Castiglione to the, to the same standard, right? He's, he's supposed to be one of the two or three most preeminent athletic administrators in college sports. And it reflects poorly on Castiglione when something like Saturday night happens. You could sort of read it. You're, you could you could feel it, hear it when you were reading his statement. At least I was. He's pretty pissed off. And he, he has a right to be. But then he also has to go back and say, well, did I not vet this like I said I had? Not that Maybe not this man, but this situation. I, I think everyone at OU seems to think pretty highly of Jeff Levy. I, I don't get the sense it's, that's any other way. He could be a good guy who makes a really bad decision that puts his university, his program, his athletic director, his head coach in a really bad light. That's what happened. And I think that's uh, that's one of the many layers we need to view this episode as, as we leave it behind. Well, I would urge everyone interested and, and I think anybody in the o- OU orbit who absorbed this situation on Saturday night, you know, should be to, to some degree, go read what Garen wrote Saturday night, right in the aftermath, read, Jenny Carlson's column, Barry Trammell's column, they they hit this from every angle. We hit this from every angle. Returning to the micro versus the macro. Go ahead. I, you know, you 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 pumped the 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 columns that we put out on sellout crowd. I want to do one thing real quick that I did on social media Sunday in the aftermath that I need to do real quick for anyone who's listening, watching, whatever. Right now, if if you're still trying to come to grips with whether this how bad this was at Baylor. This is, again, the problem of just conveniently forgetting about something that might have occurred all of us. You know, it's been seven years now since since everything was well, since Bryles and Ian McCaw and Kenneth Starr lost their jobs. Right. There's a there's a piece that was that appeared on Deadspin. And I, and I know that's automatically a little bit of an, an issue with people because Deadspin. Right. It's got your journalism, you know, got your reporting. Not not everything that's ever been put on Deadspin is that way. Sometimes, at least in the former version of Deadspin, real quick. They would actually do real, real extensive, solid investigative journalism related to sports. And there's an article that was written by Jessica Luther and Dan Solomon came out, I think, in 2019. That's they obviously spent a lot of time on this. I don't think it appeared until 19. It's called why it's it's called how Baylor happened. I think how or why how Baylor happened. I'm pretty sure is what it is. I, I say both all the time, but you get the gist. It takes a while to read it because it is extensive, it's exhaustive, the reporting they put into this. And it's not just Bryles at Baylor, it's Bryles at Stephenville High School that is called in, who is called in the question. Anyone having to square, what happened at Baylor? Oh, they were, they were cleared of all charges. Everyone was exonerated. This is a nothing burger from the beginning. Do me this much of a favor. Don't read what I or Jenny or Barry wrote before you read that piece of journalism. And if you get through that story and still don't have any problem with completely forgiving Art Riles and everyone on his staff at that time, including Jeff Levy. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Just, you can't. It's, you can. You can't. You can't be. If you can, something's not ticking right in your humanity. I was glad you put that story out Sunday. I'm glad you brought it back up here because time can fade things. I've, I've, you've seen it. I've heard it in the last three, four days of, people talking about Baylor very, in a very cavalier way, that story will hit you over the head with, with just what went down there, how it went down, who was behind it, and really a university culture, but a culture certainly fostered by that football program at that time that impacted many, many lives and still impacts many, many lives to this mm-hmm. day. And it's why 
there's if if you if all you care about is OU football, then what you saw Saturday night was a coach who had agreed to some sort of um, a boundary that was crossed, and there was no misunderstanding the way Joe Castiglione responded and how Jeff Levy then had to respond on Monday. And there's that end of it. That's the Oklahoma football end. And that's why maybe it should matter to you if you're an Oklahoma fan, even if you don't care about any of that. But then there's the macro. And there's the fact that, you know, people may say, well, at what point can we move on? Do you have to ruin a guy's life forever? And Garen, you've, you've written about this. We've spoken about this. Our Bryles and, and his staff, were, there's not been contrition. There's not been remorse. And so, sure, maybe people deserve a second chance at some point, but what about the folks left in their wake who certainly are still being impacted by this? That's the reason it's it's an issue for our Bryles to have been there, and that was clearly recognized by everybody uh, at this point now, even you know Jeff Lebby, who I'm sure did not have a fun uh, Sunday morning of meetings right. with Joe Castiglione or Brent Venables. There's that, but then there is the the much larger issue of our Bryles, of Baylor, what happened there and what continues. Uh, and that's why it was important, I think, for for the, the stories that you wrote over the weekend, Barry, Jenny, uh, and, and to remind folks just what went down and, and why it is still such an active issue. Yeah. yeah. We'll right. move on from there. Let's talk football. Sure. Uh, I think we covered it well. But OU, 2-0, wasn't perfect. I think you could look at some places where you can find positives. Tawi Walker running the way he did, 21 carries, 117 yards, the unlikely OU running back of the moment, at least. You could look at an offensive line that, by their own admission, struggled. I thought the way they spoke about it uh, this week was interesting. And then a defense that held it down. And with Danny Stutzman at the center of it and Key Lawrence having a big game in the back, where do you want to begin on that win and what we learned in week two about the Sooners. Well, you wrote it well coming out. The fact that it felt like a game that if it were played in 2022, that it was going to slip all the way through OU's grasp. And I, I, I sort of, I was in the process of putting together a, a writing plan in the third quarter when SMU kept not scoring, thinking, well, surely one of these possessions, the Sooners are going to, you know, put one in the end zone, put some distance between themselves and a team that's really not doing much of anything and they're going to get out of here. And then all of a sudden I look up, it's 14 to 11. I got to get back on, on Elon's machine and say, this is going to come down to an offense that has is spinning its wheels, figuring out a way to move forward again. And then on that drive, we finally saw Dylan Gabriel get into some sync. The run and the throw finally mesh a little bit. They go down and they still made some mistakes, right? They still did some things to hurt themselves, but they, they stuck one in the end zone, make it 21 to 11. And then you felt finally that, oh, you had a grasp again of things. So difference between last year and this year, sometimes it's as simple as a result. That's That might be an L. And Venable said as much in his post game as did a few players afterward. Um, we talked a lot about the defense going into the game and how it was, it was going to get a better test clearly than, than what it got against Arkansas State. Say the Sooners passed pretty well Saturday night. It wasn't perfect. There were receivers running open more than once. I don't remember that happening in week one. Uh, still not making a lot of plays in the backfield, either TFL, sacks, that kind of thing. That going to have to get there, going to have to get home, especially when the Big 12 comes around. But, again, more players making more consistent plays, like we saw in the opener, 
was a theme, I think, for Venable's defense Saturday night. And I would, if, if it were me, and if I was looking at doing better than six and seven this season, from an OU perspective, I'd start there. Just, again, much better all around for the defense from more, from more contributors. That's, I think, where the optimism has to be is in this start on defense. And I wrote something that, that went up this morning at selloutcrowd.com comparing this start to what the Sooners did a year ago. Because this time last year, and it, it extended to week three with the, that performance in Lincoln against Nebraska, which defense looked great. 13 sacks through three games. They were humming. People were talking college football playoff. And then we know where it went from there. Yeah. OU gave up something like 461 yards per game and gave up 37 points per game over the final 10 they played so that this can be a, a month that that tricks you but there do appear appear to be some real things about this defense and what they're doing well they're tackling better that's been a, a topic that's come up i think as much as we got beat over the head with competitive depth in the spring in the summer and into the fall it's showing kip lewis being doing what he's done at linebacker behind danny stutzman and jaron canick they didn't have that a year ago that's why David Aguegbu, Deshaun White, Danny Stetsman all played over 900 snaps and why this team looked tired late in games. Peyton Bowen, I mean, he, he might, you know, at a certain point or in his own segment, making plays immediately. But that's also just a, another guy they didn't have in their secondary. I went back and looked at the PFF numbers from late last year. Garen, how many defenders? We were in Lubbock that night, the overtime game, 51-48. How many individual defenders? Do I, I missed that trip. Oh, and you I'm did? And I'm still broken up about it because you know how much I love Lubbock. I do know how much you love Lubbock. Uh, so you just you said that to rub it in, didn't you? I did. <laughs> I can say Eric Bailey and Maul, we had a fine night in Lubbock uh, that Friday. But all right, I apologize. We, we had another great trip to Lubbock together in 2021. I know you were there for that. But yes. how many defenders do you think played in that game? That overtime game, current Sooner Reggie Pearson, Rock, Dylan Gabriel in overtime, if you recall. How many defenders played that night? For the Sooners against Tech. Late in the season. Nineteen. Spot on. I thought I was going to stump you, but nineteen. That's not a lot of guys. That's not even a two deep. It it didn't Uh, seem like it. Just didn't seem like they had a lot of guys to go to by that point of the season. That's the point. Is that they've got more guys. They played forty-two against Arkansas State. Way more than they played in any game last year. The most they played in the game last year was thirty-two. Twenty-six against SMU kind of drops down. You can see where against a a quality opponent, they were not going to play every single freshman on the roster, but they've just got the depth. And I think that's a huge difference. And it can sound hollow when we've heard it so, so much from every member of this coaching staff, but when it's bearing out for real and you're seeing late in the game, not only were they fresh, something they were never late in games last year, but they were able to even sub on Kip Lewis subbed in for Danny Stutzman, who was having an incredible game and was able to make plays late in that game. And that's something they did not have a year ago. It's a difference with this defense. And I think it's one of the reasons why, if you want to compare it to last year, which I did in that article this morning, you can come away from right now feeling with a a bit more hope. Yep, I agree. I will say this. One thing, and I I think I included this in my game, according to Garen, uh, that that I don't know if anyone read it because it was all about what happened after the game, but uh, that's, I think it's still selloutcrowd.com. If you want to check it out, I believe the one thing I'd be speaking of compared to last year, one thing that didn't seem to change is Dylan Gabriel's sort of riding the wave in terms of passing numbers, inconsistency too many times a year ago, he'd have that really good looking stat line. And you'd think 
this this is working. He and Levy are meshing. He and his receivers are have, are on the same page. They figured out run pass, all that stuff. Then he goes out and maybe what say fifty five to sixty percent of his passes and one or two picks. And there were t- there were too many back to back weeks like that from three hundred and fifty and three touchdowns, really high percentage to something that looked a lot different. And Gabriel got it together when he needed to, right in the in the fourth quarter on on Saturday night, but. Still, that look it looks familiar to me, and it's it's a little troubling that it does. So good in week one, what was he thirty or thirty three, or was that the two quarterbacks together? I don't, I don't know. He didn't miss uh, many passes. He threw he, he did three incompletions. He didn't. Yeah, he didn't miss many, and he the deep ball looked good. Everything looked good. To he doesn't look comfortable. He didn't look comfortable to me. Anytime he dropped back to pass, he didn't look comfortable for three quarters. There's the alarm that that was that was going off on my head before the fourth quarter. And that's something I think that that warrants very close uh, examination the next couple of weeks. I think so. I mean, there were factors to it. They struggled in the run game. The offensive line really, it was, it was sloppy. We talked to McCabe Matoyer last night at practice and he just said, you know, week one, we were able to get away a lot just because the talent, the size, the, the, the strength compared to Arkansas state, they could push them around and get away with stuff. They learned a lesson in, in week two, and I'm sure Bill Biedenboe drove it home about technique, about doing things right. They committed penalties. It was not a great performance around Dylan Gabriel, and you had SMU kind of dropping in pass pro. They had um, a, a safety just kind of lurking, so I think the downfield options weren't there. But you're right. Um, it was sort of that same pattern, 300 yards one week and, and struggles the next. I'll give him credit. Um, I think he's making more plays with his feet this year and, and escaping things than he could a year ago. And he talked about that after the game is something he worked on. And bottom line, he accounted for all four touchdowns. And so he, right. he, as you said, pulled it together when he needed to. But the questions there certainly remain. And I think they also jumped to a run game that has been somewhat perplexing from the start. A month ago, we would have been talking about Javante Barnes and Yavin Sawchuk. They're young, but the two most promising backs in that unit they combined for three carries Saturday night. Marcus Major struggled. I feel comfortable saying right now, and I don't mean this long-term into October or November, but right now through two games, I don't think they have a better running back than Tawi Walker. Mm -hmm. I mean, here's here's the stat line. I have it right here. Tawi on Saturday night, 21 carries, 117 yards, five and a half yards per carry. The rest of the OU backfield, 15 carries for 56 yards, 3.7. I know people want to see the young running backs. I think we will. I think this week we'll see them. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, clamor all you want. The most productive running back they've had has, has been the walk-on yep. uh, wearing number 29. And I think, you know, I don't think anything about his walk-on tag is going to stop him from from being that guy if he continues to be. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of Ramondre Stevenson, and not just because he wears 29. He's just He just gets tough yards. He gets gets you what you need and then some. Uh, because he's just a he's just a little bulldozer, and it's 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 a good story, but it's about to become a more important story, right? I mean, the walk-on story is always cute and and gets people to to really love a team going into a season, but then you see the walk-on perform, and then, then it's it takes on a completely different meaning. They really need this guy, this walk-on, and for for anyone's using Walker's emergence as an excuse to wonder about. Barnes, Sawchuck, or Marcus Major. I've covered Eli. I've covered this team long enough to remember another walk-on running back who emerged out of just about nowhere. A guy named Dominic Whaley. Back around 10, 12, 13 years ago, it might have been right after DeMarco Murray's era, 
Dominic Whaley sort of showed up out of nowhere one spring, had a pretty nice spring, a really good red-white scrimmage, and everyone thought, okay, well, that was cool. We'll never have to write about him again. He'll go away and because he's a walk-on. <laughs> They're recruiting four-star and five-star running backs. All Dominic Whaley did is carry it over into the, the next regular season and really emerge as the most reliable, consistent running back and an otherwise really talented. And he, he was talented. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said it that way in a four-star, five-star talented stable of running backs. Now, I don't think anyone cared by the end of that season whether Whaley was a scholarship, uh, a, a no-star, or a walk-on. They just appreciated his contribution. That's how OU fans have to look at Walker moving forward. I think the best-case scenario here, whoever is your starting back, whoever carries the most on a given night, is that they go 2-3 deep. That Tawi Walker is a – even if you your hope is as an OU fan is that by mid-October – Javante Barnes, Gavin Sawchuk, Marcus Major, two of those three are your guys. Mm -hmm. Every team needs a few, mm -hmm. and injuries are going to come. And so it, it should be promising. I, I think there's folks who are, are bothered that Tawi Walker is getting snaps over some of these guys. One, he wouldn't be if, if he wasn't earning them or if they didn't feel like he was that guy. And, and come on, the, the numbers bear it out, at least against SMU. But you need multiple ones. And I, I, here's a name. I don't, I'm not quite ready to make this comparison yet because it was one of my favorite running back seasons that I've covered, but up in Stillwater, Jalen Warren was the fourth running back out of four at the start of that 2021 season. Right, right. And, you know, we're talking about a Juco transfer, not all that, you know, somewhat similar. He, he was on scholarship, but not all that different from Tawi Walker. Even runs a bit the same, just kind of a bulldozer, hard to bring down. And by the end of that year, he was the most important running back and you could argue non-quarterback offensive player on a team that was not far from the college football playoff. So mm -hmm. I, I think ignore that tag, ignore just about everything, but the way he's running right now uh, and, and folks should be appreciating yep. that. Garen to Tulsa, Kevin Wilson versus Brent Venables. <laughs> what if I told you that in like 2010 uh, when, when Kevin Wilson left, I I'll, we'll start here. I need your best Kevin Wilson story. Uh, here's one. And this tells you everything you need to know about Kevin Wilson you know, the, the fire that rages just to point A to point B as fast and as hard as you can go. That's how he's always coached what, wherever he's been and whatever role he's been in. First time I met Kevin Wilson was uh, when he was, this would have been the 02 season, I think was his first play. He replaced Mangino. Was it 01 or 02? Now I'm I 02. Have done, 02. 02. I did, I've been doing my research. At a, at one of us has. I'm glad. I'm glad. I was just a wee lad back then. <laughs> His first time, first time I ever interviewed him over at the practice field, uh, he had a son named Vince Carter. He was coming off like a freshman. Vince Carter? No, no, this was, this was not the OU football player that grew up to right, also play basketball in North Carolina. Um, anyway, uh, wanted to do a feature on Vince, just a cub reporter for the Norman Transcript, went to the new position coach, talked to Kevin Wilson about Vince Carter, took him about one minute to say, you're asking me about a backup. So this guy was a freshman All-American center the year before. You're asking me about a backup. What? what is it? It's like, you, there's, there's no way. And then he tells me why I'm asking him about a backup. In other words, if Vince Carter doesn't get his bleep together soon, we've got about three more weeks of these, these two-a-days. If he doesn't get his stuff together, it's not going to be Vince Carter in the starting lineup. At the uh, at the season opener, I couldn't believe it. I I, I had I went back on my went back home went back to the office. People still gathered in the office back at O two, and I transcribed Wilson's quotes. And I thought, 
okay, this is one of my first OU football stories. It's the first one involving Kevin Wilson. I'm going to call him and sh- I could go with it and be all ex- salacious, right, and TMZ it up and all that stuff. Or I could double check and make sure this is what he really wants to say about a freshman All-American. And uh, it's not so much that he, I, he, he it's a, for the record, he heard what he'd said. We toned it down a little bit. The message remained. We toned it down just a little bit. But that in, that in a nutshell is Kevin Wilson. He, 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 if you aren't on all in, on board all the time, he will send a pretty harsh message that, that he knows that you aren't. And it's going to be up to you to fix it. Carter went on to have a great season. Wilson went on to have a great career at OU, first as line coach, then as offensive coordinator. And uh, I went on to decide that, in fact, it's okay to um, – <laughs> to double check with the, with the, with the staff assistant, just so that we, you know, we, you know what I mean? Just so that we take some of the rougher edges off, especially when you're trying to get to know a staff assistant. I'm not sure I do that now because it's 25 years later. I'm a little more comfortable in my role and my, you know what I mean? In my place as a, as a sports writer or columnist. But back then I, I did the man a favor. I think he appreciated that I did the man a favor, but it's the reason why I had to do him a favor. That's the story here. He does. He doesn't BS no matter what the topic and if uh, you're either in or you're out, and 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 that's how he's been it to you, right? And writing about him this week so far, spoiler alert, it's working. They needed structure and discipline, which are two of his pillars. Uh, but there, it's it's an old school guy coaching at, at a not at a, at a new time for college football and athletics, and you have to sort of reconcile that. And there is some reconciliation going on there too. It's a really interesting time he's coming in there. I mean, everything's changing around college football, right? You might have predicted that when when TU had an opening, they would have gone young. They would have gone up and comer, a guy um, who hadn't done it somewhere before. But instead, they've gone for uh, you know Kevin Wilson, who's been around, who has is hard nosed. You know, circumstances under which he left Indiana, um, as you lay it out. You know, but positive and negative, he is intense, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe that's what they need. At Tulsa, we're going to get a feel for where they're at this weekend, certainly. Um, Brent Venable spoke this morning really complimentary of him. And and I think it went both ways. And, and Kevin Wilson's presser, presser, there's a lot of respect for two former Stoops assistants. Um, and I don't know, how often do Stoops assistants go up against each other? Can you think of many other instances? I can off the top of my head. He's... It's a very trammel question. Run, uh, yeah, no, exactly. Um, I'm running through the in my head right now. I'm running through the, the guys who've had jobs, and I, I bet it's happened. I just can't remember sure, when. Stoop, I mean, Stoops would have gone up against Mangino, would have gone up against Leach, but his own former two of his own assistants. I bet. Yeah, I mean, like Leach, maybe Leach v. Sumlin, Kevin Sumlin at one sure. time, Sumlin versus somebody, maybe Wilson yeah. when he was in Indiana versus somebody. Hmm. Whether Sullen or, or Leach or not as many as there used to be out there. But, um, yeah, no, that's a good question. On the injury front, got three updates today. I think the most interesting spot to be watching for OU this week is on defense and at the cheetah position because that's a point of strength when you've got Desan McCullough and Justin Harrington healthy. But right now we can't be sure about either. Justin Harrington had a knee brace on in the second half Saturday, made kind of the game – icing mm-hmm. interception we saw him in a wrap last night around his knee and today brent venables just he was brief but said still banged up mm-hmm. so see on him Desan mccullough 
ankle injury week one. He dressed uh, on on Saturday, but didn't go through pregame warmups. Didn't play. Brent Venable says he's hopeful, but that's a spot that you know if neither one of them goes or one of them goes but isn't fully there. And, and you know, considering the fact that this might be this is a game where OU is favored by twenty six points, and they may not need to lean on a guy if he's not one hundred percent. You wonder who else might get in there. That might be an opportunity for Peyton Bowen. Reggie Pearson, another guy I think you'll you'll see in that role. It's perhaps, you know, as I said, if, if this game goes as many predict, mm-hmm. it may not be so critical who they have in that cheetah spot. It might, might be a week to give Peyton Bowen that opportunity, but uh, it's a spot to watch. And certainly if these guys uh, are, are still, you know, recovering in the coming weeks, we're talking about Big 12 play and it becomes a different conversation. Mm-hmm. Other one, Garen. Former Booker T. Washington Hornet, Gentry Williams, expected back. He's going to be a captain and playing in his backyard. I think it's it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll be writing about it later this week. As a, as a fellow Hornet, what are you most excited about? about it? For a guy to come, play it to you, be a captain, all that Gentry Williams has, has kind of gone through in the last year. Yeah. It might be pretty cool. Well, it's not just last year, Eli. It's his career at Booker T was marked by setbacks, injuries, and more injuries, and injuries on top of the second injuries, and it just never really you you could see it early when he was just a, just a tyke, essentially freshman at Booker T, the potential, and it you thought, gosh, wait till this kid is a senior. It's going to be a national race to get him, and we were thinking quarterback, not not defensive back, and because of one thing or another with his health. It never, it never clicked. It just never clicked like it should have. I love that he got the chance despite the setbacks in high school. Love that he got the chance to play here, to play at OU. And yes, I am looking forward to seeing him at Chapman Stadium in front of, I'm sure, a lot of family on Saturday. I mean, we'll see where this goes, but he, after all of that, has gotten his chance. And he mm-hmm. started, you know, the last two games. And I think as, as long as he's healthy, he's going to be that guy. So he's getting his opportunity at OU, perhaps the one, you know, he was always meant to at a Booker T and uh, it will be cool. I think we'll be talking to a practice tonight. I'm excited to, uh, Good. to hear what he's got to say before getting to go home. Garen, we're going to close out as yep. always with a game of Gare in or Gare out. Not yes or no, not CO no, not yay or nay, but Gare in or Gare out, Gare out. And uh, we're going to run through some rapid fire questions right. here. It is Tulsa week. So we'll start here. You're a native Tulsa. Mm-hmm. Well, native native means you were born there. Mm, I know you were born. Mm, I'll accept native. I, I moved here when I was ten. That's close enough. All right. That's cool. Well, I, I think that, that fine, fine, fine. You're a Tolson. You're a Tolson. Sure. So the Golden Driller, gear in or gear out? Gear out. Whew. Really? That's awful. It has been awful. It always will be awful. I. What should be the landmark? Something so for something so ugly to be so big. Mm. I mean, it's, it, they sort of said, "Well, let's let's." Build something ugly and then double down by making it like you know twenty five stories tall. No, thank really. you. no. Which should be the landmark of the city then, if not that? Um, I don't know. Booker T. All right, <laughs> wherever you are, that that's got to be that's the place. Booker T. Washington High that. School, the pride of the great Southwest, should be Tulsa's landmark. All right, Gary and Gary out. Tawi Walker as, I mean, I'll say the feature back because we don't know how they'll be running, but the feature back against Texas on October 6th. Garen. Garen. Mm-hmm. So you've got faith that this is going to last. Yep, I do. All right. He had a 17 tackles the other night, one shy of a career hard. Danny Stutzman to lead the Big 12 in tackles once again in 2023. 
Gary and uh, I think, of course, he only had four in week one, didn't he? Yeah, let's, no. Yeah, that's cop-out. Garen. I think I think if he's playing, so. if he's healthy for all those games, I think it, it's a good shot. The only caveat here, and he really, I would have to look at the numbers. He blew everyone out of the water last year. It wasn't particularly close. Mm-hmm. If he plays less because they're able to save him because they have the depth to do it this year, maybe that's a variable, but shoot, he they were spelling him the other night and he had 17. So yeah. I don't know if that's going to slow him down. Right, and they and he didn't play much the first week, and he's still averaging a little ten and a half. Is that what yeah? Yeah, Pretty ten and a half. That'll do. Okay. I mean, it was one twenty-five last year, and so he's not too far off that pace already. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, some some famous Tolsons in in music. Oh gear in or gear out on Hanson. This is tough because they get a they think they get a little bit of a bad rap. I mean, personally, Gare out. Personal music preference. I'm not asking you to make judgments on him. Yeah, Gare out. I mean, I, I'm not looking. I'm not looking past Mbop, and I never really got into Mbop. So Gare out. Mm. Uh, Garth Brooks. Gare out. I, but that goes for Garth Brooks industry. That's not any. That's not a shot at Garth. I'm just not into that genre of music. I don't have a lot of faith in my next one then. Joe Diffie. I don't know who that is. <laughs> so that's a a default Gare out. He's a famous. Know. You don't know Joe. I mean, I don't. He's a country singer, I believe. Joe Diffie. Joe Diffie. Usually, it's you stumping me. Sounds <laughs> like she, sounds like he should be the special teams coach of the Atlanta Falcons or something. <laughs> a big wad of chaw in his in his, uh, <laughs> his lower lip. Well, uh, moving along, is Texas back? Gare in or Gare out? Gare out. I got. I got to see more. If you're asking me today, I got to see more. And that is what I'm, you know, obviously a huge win over the weekend with Bama and a statement. It, it, they didn't just go there and beat them. They beat them on the line. Yeah. They overpowered them. No, it was impressive. No, no, was I'm impressive. not downplaying, I'm not downplaying the accomplishment. But we need to see got, more. This, yeah. If this is the high point of their season, then they're not back. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. It's the second time there's ever been two 0-2 teams in the Big 12, if you can believe it. And never before has an 0-2 team from the Big 12 made a bowl game. One of Baylor and Texas Tech, two of Baylor and Texas Tech, or none of Baylor and Texas Tech to make a bowl game. I might have. I was. I might have. This doesn't sound like Garen or Gare out. No, it doesn't. I've turned it around. Uh, it, look, it's only episode five. Well, Garen or Gare out on w- one of either of those teams making a bowl game. That might Garen. be Garen. Yeah. How about Garen both? on one. How about both? Gare out. Hmm. Are your Kansas, Kansas Jayhawks for real? Garen. Wow. What do you think of the black uniforms? You like them? Garen. In, in, in. Okay. Big fan of the black uniforms. Deion Sanders in Colorado to get to eight wins. It's a tough schedule, a tough conference. Mm-hmm. Colorado I'm State this weekend. It's great. I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for the story, so I'll say Garen. I think it's there. Colorado State, Stanford, Arizona State. Arizona, Washington State gets them there. They beat Colorado State. They only have five more they got to collect after that. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. But they've got tough sledding. Oregon, Arizona, UCLA, Oregon State, Washington State, Utah is not easy. Mm -hmm. But I I think they've proven they're going to at least be in some of these games. And I think if they're in them, who knows? And there's some of that prime magic. Alabama, four losses. Haven't lost more than four games since Saban's first season. And it's 
I'm not shipping them off yet, but they don't have an easy run either. They've still got to go up against Ole Miss, A&M, Arkansas, Tennessee, LSU, Auburn. Did you see four losses? Garrett. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Last one, most important. Booker T. Washington has a intercity game with uh, – or intra, excuse me, intra-city game with McLean Friday night. Mm-hmm. Gear in or gear out on a big – on a big Booker T win. Oh, well, that's Garen. That's going to be no matter what opponent you're asking me about. Now, realistically, right. I've seen a, I've seen their scores. Eh, got some Coach Brown's got a little work to do, and I but I'm I count on him to get it done. But if you're asking me about inner any inner in TPS battle, you know, intra conference, whatever you however you want to phrase that, then I think Booker T is is a Garen. No, I know that they're a Garen. You know what Coach Prime would ask you about Booker T? Hmm. Do you believe? <laughs> Do you believe? <laughs> We're going to finish it there, Garen. I'll, I'll be coming to your area for this Tulsa game on Saturday. Mm-hmm. But until then, you can find us, as always, YouTube, Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, everywhere you get your podcasts. You can find it. And you can find all of our coverage at selloutcrowd.com. Got loads of stuff. It's not stopping. I've been waiting for us to go off a cliff and we just haven't yet. And I don't know that we will. So find our coverage there on the Sooners on all things sports in the, in the, in the scene here in Oklahoma, the Mach five would never go off a cliff. Never, ever. And that's what we are. I, well, I can't say that confidently because I still don't know what the Mach five is, but the Mach five is not going off a cliff. Neither is the Letterman jacket podcast. And we will be back. Uh, for, hey, how about that? Show and tell. <laughs> And that is how we will go out today on the Letterman Jacket Pod. Thank you for joining. Me.